But anyway, Romans chapter 1, verses 21 and 23 today. And you remember last week we talked about, the, we began to continue on with the mindset of the Gentiles. And I showed you last time how that uh, the Gentiles have one thing about them that they always do. And this is, this, is, this is exactly the way they do. They always take the glory of God and make it like unto themselves or something else. The Gentiles by nature cannot just simply accept God as He is. And we see that through the whole Bible, really. And uh, that first statement out of the devil's mouth back there, even before he fell in Ezekiel and Isaiah, where he said, I will be like the Most High God, uh, that, unfortunately, that statement is just not limited to the devil. That's what we do. We say to ourselves, we want to be like the Most High God, and that's, that's what Gentiles do. I heard, a, I heard a man a number of years ago make a statement, and it's one of those statements that it takes about 20 years for you to fully understand. You know what I'm talking about? You just got to take it, and then you watch life, and after a while you say to yourself, boy, that statement was true. And he, he, was, talking about, he was talking about how that, that the God has revealed himself to man. And God, in our own society, He reveals Himself to you. He reveals Himself, as the Bible says, uh, He's the true light that letteth every man that cometh in the world. And we've established that fact. And He said this, in reference to that. He says, when God lights a man, and, God, and that man rejects the light that God gives him, He says, the light rejected becomes lightning. And I thought to myself when he said that, you know, that was kind of a cute statement and uh, kind of tucked it away. But after many, many years of watching and a study of the Gentile nations, our own nation, the one we live in, the United States of America, boy, it doesn't take long to see that, that truth bearing itself out that uh, light rejected becomes lightning. Psalms 119 verse 105 simply says this, Thy word, the Bible, is a lamp unto my feet, light unto my path. When uh, God saves you, He gives you a light. And that lights the Word of God. And this is an oversimplification of what the Bible is. He gives you the light of the Word of God. The Bible says that we live in darkness. Your road through life every day is in darkness. And in that darkness are all the pitfalls, all the struggles, all of the, all of the pits, all of the traps that the devil has laid for you. All the things that you'll go along in life in the darkness, fumbling away along and trip over something. My wife broke her toe a couple of weeks ago. It's all right. It's better. But I'm going to tell you how she broke it. It's, it's, it's an illustration for where I'm at, darling. I need to use it. Okay? She bought a new antique table. Uh, to me, it looked just like an old table somebody threw away, somebody else got out of the thing and, 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 and sold it to him. It's a beautiful table. And we didn't have a place put it for it just yet, so we put it at the end of the bed. And I don't, uh, in, the, in, the, in, late, in the middle of the night or early in the morning, anyway, the lights were not on. The lights were not on. It was dark in the bedroom. She got up to go out and do something, came back in, pitch black dark, Thought she was going down to the side, her side of the bed and ran right to that table and caught her little toe and the next little toe right between the leg of that table. That's what she said. The problem was she tried to get back to bed and it was pitch black dark. Now, she has a flashlight right by her bed. So do I. 
Because I have learned how many times that I have got up in the middle of the night and I have ran straight into the cadenza. Or thought I was going into the archway of the bathroom and run into the ceiling thing and still got the imprint of the light switch on my forehead. In other words, in dark places where there's a lot of things you can hurt yourself with, you need a light. Not a bud light, just a light. I saw some of your eyebrows go up when I said that. You betray yourself. You need a light. And what man needs in this world of darkness, unsaved man, is a light. Once you get saved, you get that light, and that light is a lamp under your feet, light under your path. Now, when you reject that light as a Christian, and, we, and many times we do, how many times we deal with people whose wives are so messed up and so sideways and so just incredible situations, and it's all because they, they violated the principles of the Word of God. They thought that they were the exception to the rule, that they could beat the system, and they found out that you can't. And what happened was they wound up getting themselves into some kind of circumstance, some kind of situation, and at the end of the day, it's all because they rejected the light that God gave them that showed them the pitfalls that was waiting for them. Now, that's why it's so important to have the Word of God in your life. A study of the history of the Gentile nations will very clearly show you this great principle, that when God gives any nation or any individual light, and that light gets rejected, that light comes back as lightning. And it's going to do more damage and it's going to allow more heartache in your world and your life than you would have if you'd have just followed what God said. Last week I showed you in just a brief history, and I wished I would have had time to do it more, but we just didn't have the time. I showed you a brief history of, of Europe and how that everything in Europe, from the Reformation right up to the where we're at today, the art, the literature, the architecture, the, the, the sculptures that men made during this period of time, the music, everything that man did, even the, even the way that the buildings were done, the architecture of it, everything is relevant to where that nation is to the Word of God. And I showed you in just a brief capsule form how that the Word of God is the, is the anvil by which the nations are forged on. And when a nation forgets this book, when God's people forget this book, the light of God's Word, which God intended to be a lamp under our feet and a light under our path, turns into the judgment of God in the form of lightning. And um, today as we speak, when you talk about Europe, and I know that we're Americans, and, and to me this has always been one of the most fascinating things about studying Bible and the history and the hand of God, how it works and operates down through not only the world as we live in, but down through the world in the history as it all developed. And uh, Europe has been now 200, over 250 years without the light of God. Stop and think about that. A nation that every day men and women went to work. A nation that every day they came up with new ideas. A nation that every day somebody painted another painting wrote another sonnet, somebody wrote another book, a nation that now for over 250 years has been without the light of God's Word. If you would go to Europe today, you would find that Europe is basically amoral. They have no morals. 
There's nothing that is illegal in, in, in Europe, really. I mean, everything that goes on in Europe is, uh, is an absolute testimony that once a nation or a man or a woman rejects the light of God, that the retribution had come back on them uh, from God's judgment. And it's an incredible study. America now has been 120 years, over 120 years, without the light of God. And we rejected the Bible back in the early part of this century, and, uh, and Europe rejected it during the middle of the times back in the 1700s, and now we have seen the results of that. You know, if you go to a church in America, you know what the issue is in American churches? And most of you know this because most of you have, have dealt with this controversy. Now, we believe the King James Bible is the Word of God, don't we? Okay, we believe that. So if you go to another church or you're planning to move somewhere, if, if you're really into this thing that we're talking about and you really believe the Bible, what's the first question you're going to ask the pastor? What Bible do you use? That's correct. See, the issue for you and for me in America has come to the point where it's an issue of the Bible. If you went into Europe, in the Lutheran churches, the, Pres uh, the uh, uh, Presbyterian churches in Scotland, uh, the Church of England in England, or if you went into uh, any of those churches, uh, even the Catholic churches in Germany and France, the issue there that people that still go to church, and there are in a whole lot of them, but if we were having a conversation, if I say I lived in, I lived in, uh, in Germany, and I, I go to a Lutheran church, and I meet you at a coffee shop someplace, or we meet at the someplace, and you tell me that you're a Lutheran also, and you go to this Lutheran church on the other side of town. The question that we would talk about, this is my point, the question that we would discuss is not what Bible that they use. You know what the topic would be? The topic would be, oh, you go to a Lutheran church over there. Is your pastor believe in God or is your pastor an atheist? That would be the question. In Europe, they have absolutely, in churches, they have absolutely no controversy. Absolutely with no problem in churches. Absolute no issue with pastors in those churches being atheistic in their concept and standing up in the pulpit every Sunday talking about what they talk about and denying the very existence of God. Now that's what happens in a country over 250 years without a Bible. You see, we're headed that way. We're headed that way. But our issue right now, just after a short hundred and some years, 20 years, is not that far yet. Our issue just today is, do we still have a Bible? Well, once this country becomes determined that we don't have a Bible anymore, it's just a hop, skip, and a jump that we don't have a God anymore. And you need to understand where this thing is going. I'm not preaching Romans to you just because I want to hear myself preach it. Romans, though I do, Romans, it's hard for me to find good preaching. I listen to them all day, all week long. Romans, Romans is a book that you need to understand. Romans helps you, especially if you're going to keep on perfecting yourself. Especially if some of you young men and young ladies are going to uh, let God really use you in dealing in people's lives. Whether it's just understanding how better to witness to them, whether it's working with me and dealing with people in their intricate problems, or maybe just dealing with your own issues in life. Understanding what God is doing and how Gentiles 
think of God, approach God, and giving you the understanding of why it is the way it is in America. You realize that a hundred years ago in America, every pastor in this country, 120 years ago in this country, every pastor and every church, no matter what he was other than a Catholic church, every Protestant pastor, everybody on this planet believed that the King James Bible was the Word of God. Now, nobody believes it. How in the world did we get from everybody believing it to now only you hillbilly radicals believing it? What changed? And the answer to that is the same answer for the moral issue. It's the same answer what happened in Europe, which is taking place in here. You go to Europe and you go out there in the summertime and walk through the park, it is never an issue for most people to be sunbathing in the nude right out in public. You, it, it's, it's the most unbelievable. They have no morals. They have no morals because they have no God. Now, Jason, I saw that smiling. I saw you're going to get your plane tickets for, for Europe, and I saw your wife kind of elbow you over there. The only thing that is holding back in America, the complete collapse and downfall, the only thing, the only thing that is holding this country's head above water that is still breathing spiritually is people like you. People like you who I classify in this great darkness that we're in, who I classify as the night fighters. The last gleaning hope of a church age that has absolutely apostatized itself, that is right on the brink of total destruction, but yet wherever you go in the Bible, and it's also true of history, wherever you go, no matter how dark, no matter how bleak, how, how immoral it becomes to a point, you always have God's faithful few that are holding up the light and doing what they can do. And I'm telling you, the only thing that keeps God's hand from coming down in and pulling this nation under, and he will in time. Once we're gone, brother, you'll see how quick it's going, and it's already going. Of all the judgments God can pronounce on a person or a nation, and my friend, the, the Bible is filled with them. There's no greater judgment that can befall an individual, or there's no greater judgment that can befall a nation than for God to simply take his hand off that nation or that individual as far as dealing with them is concerned. There is no greater catastrophe that can befall you as an individual. The Bible is going to talk about, this is going to be a two-part message because we've got a lot of material here. But next week I'm going to show you five steps to get a reprobate mind. And I'm sure you're going to sign up and you all want one. <laughs> We'll have a special next week, two for the price of one. But I'm going to show you next week how a man or a woman acquires a reprobate mind. Because when you get to that point in your life, or a nation gets to that point in their mindset as a nation, God simply takes his hands off and you are on your own. Europe today as we speak is hands off as far as God's concerned. There's no, there's no witness of the Holy Spirit. There's no movement of the Holy Spirit. It is an absolute dead nation. And the only thing that God does now is work through individuals. But there's no revivals anymore, anywhere. In a nation that once spawned a reformation that brought about the truth, 
that gave you and I our Bible, they might well be dead, buried in 28 feet of concrete. They're impenetrable when it comes to God reaching down and touching them other than a few individual situations. You got a church, if you're a missionary to Europe, and most missionaries won't go to Europe because it's almost an impossible field. If you got a church of four or five in Europe, you got the equivalent of a church of eight or nine hundred in America. That's the ratio. Very almost impossible field. Why? Because God has taken his hand. God is leaving them alone. And there comes a time in individual's life when you reach that point of a reprobate mind, and we're going to get into it next week, when God simply does the worst thing he can do to any individual or any nation, and that is step back, take his hands off of you, and you're on your own. And God no more takes a hand in dealing with you or correcting you. Now, I know that a lot of people, the reason why they don't like a church like this is simply because the style of preaching. Because my style of preaching will, will get down to where you really live. And a lot of people don't like that. But the number one thing that they don't know, and this goes to show you where their mindset is. You know why we got why God ordained preachers? You know why God has a man get up here and, 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 or, and just open up the Word of God and just lay that thing down where you've got to get face to face with it? You know why God ordained churches with pastors that make you make a decision? You've got two decisions in life about every decision you've got to make. You know what it is? It's the hard right or the easy wrong. It's that simple. Doing what's right is hard most of the time. Doing what's wrong is easy. And God wants to set it up so you have to be faced with that decision and make a choice. And the reason why God likes men to stand up here and preach the Word of God is real simple. You're God's child. And as God's child, we all get sinning in our lives. All of us. And what God has designed it to be that when a man got up here and preached to you of the Word of God and you're faced with the hard right or the easy wrong or some issue in your life, that you would, inside your own heart, confess your sin to God, get it right, get out on your knees and ask God to forgive you, clean up your life and get back where you need to be. God would rather have you do it that way than God Himself come down and deal with you. That's His plan. So people who don't like preaching and get down where they live is just asking for it if they're saved. Because you either can take this little two-bit tin horn preacher or you can take the one with the eyes of a holy God of the flame of fire. Your choice. Your choice. Your choice. But of all the judgments God pronounces on a man, that is the most terrible judgment. Now, if you have your Bibles this morning, I want you to turn to Romans chapter 1. And we're going to begin to look at, and as I said, this is going to be a two-part message. There's so much material here, we don't want to hurry through it, and we want to make sure that we get everything comp, because I want you to understand how this all works. Now, he says, and I'm going to back up in verse 25 and put, put it all in context, but follow with me now in Romans chapter 1, verse 25 through 28. Who, talking about Gentiles, who changed the truth of God into a lie and worship and serve the creature more than the Creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. For this cause, 
God gave them up unto vile affections, for even their women did change the natural use into that which is against nature. And likewise also the men, leaving the natural use of the woman, burned in their lust one toward another, men with men, working that which is unseemingly, and receiving in themselves that recompense of their heir which was meet. And even as they did not like to redeem God in their knowledge, here it comes, God gave them over to a reprobate mind to do those things which are not convenient. Now, Father, we thank you and praise you for the Lord Jesus. Help us today as your children to learn these great lessons about what we once were, Gentiles. Help us to understand how all this stuff works. Help me to be clear today as I draw all the angles and put all the lines together that a picture may emerge that helps these people understand in a greater way uh, what we have here. And we'll thank you and praise you in Jesus' name for a sake we ask it. Amen. Now we come to the dark side of the Gentiles today. And I want, you to, I want you to understand and see the impact of rejecting God in His light. Because this is what Gentiles have done. And the result of it is when Satan comes in. In your Bible, you have a time period that is called the times of the Gentiles. And in those times of the Gentiles, it starts about 606 B.C., and we're still in the times of the Gentiles today. What does that mean? It means a time period when God is dealing only through the Gentiles. And it's a time where basically Satan is controlling the world through the Gentile nations. The devil has control today of the world through the Gentile leaders and the Gentile nations. Back in the Old Testament when he did also at particular times, you're going to find that God addresses Satan through the leaders of those nations. And you can find that all through the Old Testament in the book of Ezekiel, the book of Isaiah, and many other places. And you're going to find that, that, the, uh, uh, that as, as, as men and women reject God in God's light, as the depravity of sin that Gentiles fall into, they begin a downhill spiral and, on, and all the way back to that animalistic morals that we have talked about in the last couple of weeks. In the Old Testament, when a Jew saw the Gentiles or thought of the Gentiles, he called them dogs. They referred the Gentiles, the nation of Israel did, as dogs. Because that's how they viewed them, because they have the morals of animals. And the nation of Israel themselves, when they looked at the Gentile nations, understood what they were, knew what they were into, and knew that they did not have the light of God, did not want the light of God, were being controlled by Satan, and had the morals of animals. And so they're called many, many times in the Bible as dogs. If I may this morning, and I, I, I just as a point of reference and a, and a point of illustration, I want you to come back to 2 Kings chapter 23. I'm trying to paint a picture for you today of how this thing not only came into being, but why it is the way that it is today in Romans chapter 1, which is really the key to understanding what we are up against today as individual Christians. You'll remember last week that I took you back to the New Testament time of Christ. 
And I showed you the nation Israel in what I commonly call the whited sepulcher syndrome. Jesus looked at the nation of Israel and he says, you're like whited sepulchers. A sepulcher is a tomb. He says, the tomb on the outside is very beautiful. It's all painted white, got flowers all over it. Man, you look at that sepulcher and you think to yourself, wow, that's beautiful. But the closer you get to that sepulcher, the more a very eroding smell becomes into your nostrils. And it doesn't take long to realize that there is something decaying inside that sepulcher. And it's decaying or the bodies of the people that were buried in there. And what he's saying is that Israel, on the outside, religiously, and this is what I said last week, looks really good. I mean, if you would have walked back in their time, they would have been praising God and talking about the promises of God and the law and the Word of God. But the closer you got, the more it stunk. And when you got right up to it, Jesus himself said, it's white on the outside, but it's full of dead man's bones on the inside. That was Israel. Now, I want to take you back and show you and give you an understanding of what's going on in the Old Testament as a point of reference. And I wanted to do the same thing here. And like I said, now this message this morning is rated R. It contains nudity, sexual content, violence, and all in the name of Jesus. So you can kind of see how this thing goes. But there's some great parallels that we, uh, we know that are in the Old Testament. We know that in the Old Testament, by God's plan and God's design, the only way that a man could get God was through the nation of Israel. We know that. The devil's plan now was to stop that. So what the devil simply did, he got the nation of Israel that was God's pure line and pure seed to mix itself with all the other Gentile nations through intermarriage. The Old Testament, the Old Testament was, was strictly forbidden against interracial marriage. You find a lot of people in the New Testament that try to are against in, in, interracial marriage. And the bottom line is you don't have a leg to stand on in the New Testament because you're not under the law. You're under grace. You're free as God leads you to marry anybody you want to marry. It doesn't matter in the New Testament. But in the Old Testament, yes, it did. Because God is dealing with a nation in the Old Testament. And that nation in the Old Testament is the nation of Israel. All the other Gentile nations out there are being run by devil for one purpose. And the devil's plan is to get those Gentile nations to have their boys marry Jewish girls and their, and their vice versa and to intermingle. And when they intermingled, the Gentiles brought their gods in with them. And very slowly, as the Bible says, a little leaven, leaven the whole lump. And by the time we get to 2 Kings chapter 23, we're in a mess. The word, our word for abominable, our word for abomination, goes back to the Old Testament. Abominable nation. That was the word that was used for the Gentile nations in the Old Testament. Abominable nations. Abomination. That's our word today in the English language. Now they accomplished this through pagan religion which brought all the depths of Satan with it. And this is what I'm trying to get across to you in Romans chapter 1. Let me bring you through a very graphic illustration of what's going on back in this time to help you understand what's going on today. Now, back in the Old Testament, these Gentile nations had one main religion. 
you find all the other religions on planet earth are derivatives of this one. And in the Bible, it's called Baal worship. Baal worship is the worship of Baal. Baal is the sun god. In the history of Baal, Baal is joined or born on December 25th. And what you have as you come down through this, you'll find that it goes all the way back to Genesis chapter 10. Remember back in Genesis chapter 10, it talked about Nimrod. Nimrod's the first leader of Babylon, first time to find the first Gentile kingdom in the Bible. Very significant, not only in the Bible, but in history. Well, Nimrod has a wife. And after a period of time, Nimrod dies. After he does a lot of great things, for not for God, but he dies. His wife, whose name is Semiramis, claims then after he's dead that she is conceived with a child but by no man. In other words, she's our first virgin-born person in the Bible. She claims that her virgin-born child is going to be the promised seed, which kind of contradicts with Genesis chapter 3 a little bit, but that's all right. This would make a great movie, but as Christians, we couldn't go see it. But anyway, so what happens is when you come down through it and you put it all together, she has this child. And she says this child now is Nimrod reborn. You must be born again. See? Long before, long before the real born again and a real virgin born son comes out. The devil counterfeited it four or five thousand years before it ever took place the way God said it would take place. He's way ahead of the game. Now, at this point, she claims that that that. Baal, or Nimrod, is now found in the, in, the, in the sun, in the person of the sun. And so it calls together everybody worshiping the sun, and this sun becomes Baal worship. Then we turn our attention to the moon. In Baal worship, the moon follows the sun around the sky, and it reflects the light. So where the sun becomes the male component, the moon now becomes the female component. And this female counterpart is called by many names down through history. Sometimes she's called Iris. In Acts chapter 19, she's called Diana. Uh, in Acts chapter, in the early part of Acts and down through, uh, uh, from all the way back from uh, Babylon and the Zidonians, she's called Ashtar, which we talked about last week is where you get our word Easter. Now, in history, Ashtar, who is the god of fertility, and this is why at Easter time you have the Easter bunny, and colored eggs, because Ashtar in history fell from outer space, landed in the river Euphrates in an egg. That's what I thought. <laughs> I can see, honey, you're not buying any of this. <laughs> then may I offer you some swamp land in Florida. <laughs> from that, we get the, the Ashtoreth, the female fertility goddess, also called Venus, in blue jeans. And we find that all the sexual stuff comes in around it. Because as the moon and the sun chase each other around the sky, this leads to a deifying of all the planets and all the stars and all, the, and all worship the union of the sun and the moon through the sexual gratification their, their religion is built around four times of the year. The winter solstice, which is December 21st. The summer solstice, which is June 21st. December 21st is the shortest day of the year. 
June 21st is the longest day of the year. The spring equinox, which is March 21st, and the fall equinox was around September 20th. And, of course, the equinox, equal, equinox meaning times that are equal, it's the two times that on both sides of the hemisphere, day and night, are the same period of time. But they usher in the four seasons, a great musical group. Doobop, remember? No, the other four seasons. It ushers in the four seasons. And with those four seasons come all of the sexual parts. And this time of the year, as, oh, as, oh, as, as Osiris or Ashtar, the God, all the, the sun was coming up and it was, the earth was going to be reborn again and all the stuff was going to be fruitful and it, it all ties into the pagan stuff. Now, in 2 Kings chapter 23, Israel has bought into this thing big time. And what I'm about to show you is one of the most graphic places in the Word of God. There are some places in a mixed crowd I won't even take people. But that's the Bible for you. You want the truth? Well, as Jack Nicholas said, you can't handle the truth. <laughs> and yes, I will give you a code red. <clears throat> Let me begin to read for you. I guess that's the best way to do it. Well, I've got to say this first. Let me, you've got to get all together. Now, here's what happens in, in, 2, Kings chapter, in 2 Kings chapter 23. We got a guy by the name of Josiah. Josiah, his name means supported by Jehovah. Josiah is a great king. Israel has had a bunch of rotten kings that have brought Israel into the depths of Baal worship. And I'm going to show you graphically here in just a moment. And Josiah has come on the throne. And Josiah is God's man. In fact, I told the kids last night in Institute. David is the number one king in the Bible. Under him is Josiah. And Josiah, the Bible says, did what was right, turned not from the right, turned not from the left. And brother, he was somebody that, uh, that took God's stand on it. But I've got to tell you this story too. This is a great story. When you go back to the last chapter, chapter 22, Israel's in a mess. Israel is into the depths of the most ungodly, pagan, demonic, Baal worship that you're going to see in a moment that is totally unbelievable. Everything imaginable that you can think of in a sexual perverted way is going on in the name of God during this period of time. It's the most unbelievable history in a period. And Josiah becomes king. Josiah has a minister. And one of his ministers goes into the house of the Lord. And you know what he finds in the house of the Lord that has been lost now for four or five hundred years? He finds the word of the Lord. And he gets that word of the Lord and he brings it to Josiah. And Josiah takes that book and he reads it and he reads about what they are supposed to be doing versus what they are doing. And the Bible says Josiah rents his clothes. He calls the leaders of Israel out in front of him. And then he says to them, I found the word of the Lord in the house of the Lord. And brother, from this point on, it's going to be book, chapter, verse. Amen. And he goes after them. He goes after them. So that's the context of what I'm going to read you. Pick it up in verse 5 of chapter 23 of First Second Kings. And here's what he did as their king. Now, I'm going to tell you right now, you know I'm not political. But we don't need a Clinton in the White House. 
We don't need a Barack Obama in the White House. We don't need a John McCain in the White House. We need a Josiah in the White House. That's what we need. He's a political figure, but my, 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 look what he does to his nation that has polluted themselves because they have lost the light of God and the light rejected has become lightning. This is who we need as president. Verse 5, And he put down the idolatrous priests whom the kings of Judah had ordained to burn incense in the high places in the city of Judah and in the places round about Jerusalem, them also that burned incense unto Baal, to the sun, and to the moon, and to the planets, and to all the host of heaven, just like I told you. And he brought out the grove from the house of the Lord without Jerusalem, under the book of Kidron, and burned it at the brook Kidron, and stamped it the small to powder, and cast the powder thereof under the graves of the children of the people. And he break down the houses of the, here it comes, Sodomites. Now, Greek for Sodomite is queer. Homosexuals. In fact, on our books today, the laws that deal with those kind of issues are called sodomy. Right out of your Bible. It's called Sodomites because it starts in Sodom and Gomorrah, Genesis chapter 19. Where the woman wove hangings for the grove. Look at verse 10. And he defiled Tophren, which is in the valley of the children of Hinnon, that no man might make his son or his daughter to pass uh, uh, the fire to Molech. Look at verse 14. And he break in pieces the images and cut down the groves and filled their places with the bones of men. He's killing them while he's doing it. Look at verse 20. And he slew all the priests of the high places that were there upon the altars and burned men's bone upon them and returned in Jerusalem. Look at verse 24. Moreover, the workers with familiar spirits and the wizards and the images and the idols and all the abominations that were spied in the land of Judah in Jerusalem, did Josiah put away that he might perform the words of the law which were written in the book that Hilkiah the priest found in the house of the Lord. Now there's a cleanup. That's what we need in the White House. That's what it will take to get this country back where it needs to be. But in the same breath, don't hold your breath. Now write these references down if you're taking notes because I've got a, I don't have time to do this the way I'd like to, so I'm going to kind of walk you through it. But you need to look at these references up here. Leviticus 18, 7 through 21. Jeremiah 32, 35. Jeremiah 7, 31. Ezekiel 23, 20. 2 Kings 10, 19. 1 Kings 18, 25. Hosea 13, 2. Hosea 14, 2. Now those verses are going to support and go along with what I'm about to tell you. It's just that we don't have time to dig all those verses out. But here's what you've got. 
I told you last week that if you'd have walked in the time of the nation of Israel when Christ was there, you'd have thought God was on the throne and everybody was doing right. Up to the point where Josiah finds the word of the Lord and begins to clean house, this is exactly what you've got. Here's what they have done, putting all this material together. They have begun to worship Baal and the moon and Ashtoreth and the planets and the sun. They have called all of this in now, and now you find the temple of the Lord. Now, this is the temple that Solomon built. This is the temple that was God's house. This is not some ramshack temple that they put up in the backyard. This is the temple that Solomon built in 1 Kings 3. This is the temple that took seven years to build. This is the temple that was overlaid with gold. This is where the ark went. This is where the treasures of the holy things went. This was God's meeting place with man during that particular time. And now here's what we've got. The temple of God has now turned over to the temple of Baal. And through that same temple where the great God Jehovah reached out through the world under Solomon, we now find that it is a place where Baal worship resides. Not only that, they've got a very lucrative program going because every church needs money. And because their religion, Baal worship, is always connected with the sexual content of what's going on in the union of the planets and all of the things. You'll find that there's one, you saw it back there where we talked about the women that, that, did the, that did the hanging groves for the sodomites. This religion here is whatever your sexual preference is. If you desired a relationship with the sodomites, you brought your offering to the temple, and then you went up to the little hanging groves where all the sodomites hung out. They also had at this particular time what was called temple prostitutes. Those were the straight guys. You brought your offering, and then you meandered your way up to another little section where all the temple prostitutes were. And if you're really into it the way uh, that you, uh, the Gentiles were, they had another section that dealt with animals and bestiality. And you brought your offering, and then you took that, and you could have your sexual deviant precedence in anything that you wanted to do. In the house of the Lord, by the greatest nation that God called out on the face of this planet, and all that was brought in by the Gentile nations to corrupt what God was trying to do. Now, he said down there the valley of the valley of Hinnon. He said down there the word Tophet and Molech. Tophet means drum, like a beat on a drum. The valley of Hinnon we know today as the valley of Gehenna which is the south end of Jerusalem that in Jesus' time was the kind of like the city dump. That's where all the dead bodies were put. That's where all the trash was burned. It's a type of hell in the Bible because it constantly burned to burn up all of the things that were there and to keep the disease down. But in this particular time, it was called the Valley of Hinnon. And down in the Valley of Hinnon, we had a guy by the name of, or a statue or a god by the name of Molech. Molech was the fire god. Molech was a big bronze, about uh, 75, maybe 100 foot tall, huge bronze god with a gigantic hole in his stomach. And in that stomach, 
they would build a fire. And Molech had hands that were like this that were mechanical hands that could be cranked up and in. And when you find in your Bible where God tells the nation of Israel to not allow their children to pass through the fire of Molech, it's because when this religion was going on and the temple prostitutes would conceive with children, those children were offered to Molech, the fire god. It got so bad at some times that many of the nation of Israel families in Baal worship offered up their firstborn child to, to, to Molech. And here's how it worked. Told you this message was rated. Here's how it worked. They would beat themselves into a sexual frenzy. And they would be all down around praising the fire god Molech with fire blowing up and his stomach, that iron cast stomach, would almost glow. It was so red. And they would be beating on the drums and they'd be dancing around and screaming and bowing down to their God, just like you find in the book of Acts. And one by one, they'd take these little illegitimate babies that were a product of the, uh, of the ungodliness that's going on. And they would lay those babies in the hands of Molech. And those hands would be almost red hot and those little babies would scream when that tender little body felt those hands. And they'd beat the drums louder to beat out the screams. And while they're all down saying Hail Mary and pizza pie and everything else, they crank those hands up and that little screaming baby to the beat of those drums and the scream and the devotion to their God was dumped into the belly of Baramolik. Yet if you'd walk down the streets during that period of time, if you'd walk through that temple or saw somebody, they'd talk about how much they loved God. They would give the appearance that everything was just fine between them and the God of Israel. And it wasn't. It wasn't until Josiah found the book that showed him what was wrong. You know what Romans chapter 1 and what we're talking about does for you? It's we are the Josiahs today. We're living in a time when America is just like Israel. You think moms and dads don't sacrifice their children? They just don't put them in the bellies. But brother, they sacrifice them. They sacrifice them left and right. I've seen some parents when they had good kids that those kids could have actually done something for the Lord when the parents might as well have tied their hands behind their back put them on their knees, and shot their, blew their brains out from the back. You did the, you, 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 you did the same thing to them spiritually that could have been done physically. You ruined whatever chance they had. Oh, we don't just have to go to the fire of Molech. We bring it up to the modern 20th century times. We bring it up to moms and dads who just want to... They talk about God. Oh, yes, I'm a Christian. But the ungodliness that goes on in their life. And their little kids grow up. And mom and dad are saved. But the kids wind up in the fire of Molech. And mom and dad are too stupid to even know what goes on. They don't even care when they know. You know what our job is? We need to do the job in the day and age that we live in with all the ungodliness and all the darkness and all the paganism and all of the things that go on. You and I, as Josiah, we have the word of the Lord. We know what it says. Therefore, we are, my friend, without excuse. 
I look at situations, boy, and I see, I see people, and I think the most crushing thing in the ministry, you've heard me say it before, the most crushing thing in the ministry is to see somebody that has the great potential to be something of God and to throw it away for something in this world. Now that's what the Gentiles did to God's people. When they disobeyed the word of God and they rejected the light of his word. You reject that book and you reject his, his light and you will find yourself in the most unbelievable situation the world has for you to offer. And when you get to the point that it goes so far and you cultivate that reprobate mind, God takes his hand off of you. We'll talk about that next week. Now, you can obviously see how Romans chapter 1 is so prevalent. And this is where we are at today in America in a 20 and 21st century context. You find churches and Christians today allowing this Gentile mindset to destroy the mission that God has for them. And the church today has been corrupted by the Gentile mindset, just like it was back there. Did you ever stop and think about this? Now, you know we only preach and teach from the King James Bible around here, and we basically tell you that that's the absolute, perfect, inspired Word of God. You know why I say that that is? Because that's the only Bible on the planet that comes from the nation of Israel. Do you know that? Do you know that, that the King James Bible it comes off the original manuscripts of Acts chapter 11 where they're first called Christians, and if you want to take the time, you can follow that, that writing right on down to the early Greek text, and you can find a line that brings you right through, right up to where you and I are at in Old Path Baptist Church this morning, and it's a line that has never been tainted with with Gentiles. It's a line that was pure. The Bible says salvation's of the Jew. Every writer in it's a Jew, and that book came straight from the nation of Israel. You realize also if you've got any other Bible today than a King James Bible, you don't have a Jewish Bible. You know all the new translations comes off Sinaias of Vaticanus, and they were corrupted by a Gentile in the first, second century. You don't even have God's Word. You have a cheap rendition that is not from the nation of Israel. It's from the Gentile. The Gentiles polluted your Bible first. They pollute your mind second. And they destroy the church third. And that's an oversimplification of where the church is at today and God's people's at today, but that's where they're at. That's why. You know the proof of that? Some of you may be sitting out there and say, well, I don't know about You know the proof of that? I'll tell you the proof of that. Just ask the average Christian who's been saved 10 years or 5 years or more. Just ask the average Christian. Name for you the seven mysteries in the Bible. Right like that. Don't open your Bible. Just give them to me. Give me the seven character qualities of God that are the same seven character qualities of ministry that you ought to have in your marriage, in your family. Come on, tell me what they are. Oh, yeah, you got it down, don't you? I'm going to trust you. Oh, I'll follow you anywhere. I'll follow you into hell when I get my asbestos suit. I'll follow you anywhere. You don't even know the basics. That's what's wrong with God's people today. God gave us a book. We need some Josiahs that will read in the book and say, you know what? This is what it says. We need some moms and dads that says, I don't care what you think you want to do. This is what the book says. We need some husbands and wives that will stand up. We need some men at work, some women at work that will stand up and say, I don't care what you think your lifestyle is. It doesn't bother me. This is what the book says. 
missing today. Missing today. All the major nations and all the major religions have forgotten what I'm preaching to you about today in Romans chapter 1, verses 25 through 27. They have rejected God. They have rejected the light of God. And when that transpires, here's what happens. Hey, when Gentiles, you or me, as a nation, when Gentiles leave God, lose His light, and lose His word, an automatic procession begins to take place that spirals down. And the farther down you go, the worse it gets. And the more you involve your flesh in it, the more depraved it becomes. And you will reach a point where you will not be able to return. It's not that God can't save you. God's grace, God's mercy, God's salvation is unlimited. Is that you bear your flesh so much to the ungodly things of this world that God cannot touch you because your mind that he wanted to let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, now is the reprobate mind. And once they reject that, man then changed the truth, verse 25, of God into a lie. Once he changes the word of God into a lie, he begins to serve the creature more than the creator. Once he does that, then for this cause, one and two, God gives them up to vile affections. Then when it comes down to that line, it says in verse 26 that the women did change the natural use of their bodies. That was against nature. Likewise, the men, leaving the natural use of the women, burned in their lust one toward another, working that which is unseemingly. Now, ladies and gentlemen, I don't have to tell you what I'm talking about here. How in the world could anybody miss homosexuality and lesbianism in that passage unless you just flat rejected the light of God? There's two kinds of sins in your Bible. There are natural sins and there are unnatural sins. The natural sins will be sins of your flesh. And those are your garden variety sins. Those would be things like fornication, adultery, stealing, lying, jealousy, covetousness, drunkenness, and all those things that, that the, are, are come from the flesh. Then there's unnatural sins. You see, natural sins are sins of the flesh. Unnatural. He said it, I don't know how many times, sins against nature. That nature itself tells you there's something wrong with this picture. You know, right now, I saw a thing on the TV here about, uh, oh, it must have been about two or three months ago. There's over 10,000 websites right now you can get online that will show you, introduce you, and get you hooked up with everybody out there that's having sex with animals. 10,000 websites. Those are unnatural sins. There's nothing natural about that. There's nothing natural about homosexuality. There's nothing natural about lesbianism. There's nothing natural about being a pedophile. There's nothing natural about bestiality. There's nothing natural about necromancing. That's sex with dead people. Yeah. 
You see, one is sins of the flesh. They're natural sins. The other one are unnatural. They're not sins of the flesh. They're sins that are satanic controlled. They're sins that the farther you go down, the more you give your life over it. How many, do, how many know, how many people that are addicted to crack cocaine today? How many people that are hooked on meth? Terry, you'd know about this. How many people that are absolutely hooked on heroin? And you know what? It all started with a marijuana cigarette and the fact that they thought, I can stop. The biggest mistake you make is thinking that once you introduce your flesh to something, you can stop. You ever start to eat a bag of potato chips? Well, what are you laughing at me for? Lays himself says, I bet you can't eat one. You know why? Because you can't eat one. You eat the whole bag. Now, if you don't have the control of your flesh in potato chips, need I say any more? You know what the wisest man that ever lived said in the book of Proverbs? He said a threefold cord is not easily broken. You know what that means? You big tough guys, you big women who think you got it all together, you know what that means? You know what that means? That means, yeah, you're big and strong. You can take these, take these two fingers and let's just take a little piece of cotton thread. You know something you sew with. Something when you try to thread the needle, if you don't do it right, it breaks. And tie that around your finger. And you know what? You can just pop that thing. A little piece of thread. Harmless, isn't it? Absolutely made of cotton. Why, you can just wrap it around your finger and pop it. Wrap it around two times. You can pop it. Wrap it around three. Maybe you can pop it. Take that same little piece of thread, which is just like that little cigarette, or that little this, or that little that, and wrap it around your fingers 10,000 times, and you will die before you break it. That's your flesh, and that's what you expose your flesh to. We all think we're smarter than God. That's our biggest problem. We all think that we're the exception to the rules. We're all selfish. We're all somebody who only care about us. I've seen couples that I knew were probably saved, and because they were saved and go into heaven, they just lived their riotous lifestyle, did what they wanted to do, and never thought about they had three or four little kids down there in the nursery that their, kid, their parents are going to go to heaven. Those kids are probably going to die and burn in hell. Never crosses their mind. You know why? Because it's all what they want. It's all about them. When the Bible talks about satanic strongholds, it's not talking about lying. Those are sins of the flesh. It's talking about somebody wrapping some sin around them, and as you wrap it, it goes down. It starts with marijuana, winds up with an addiction to crack cocaine or methamphetamine or, or heroin. It starts in a very harmless situation, winds up in a tragedy. Starts out with one beer, winds up at two rivers in the alcohol, alcoholic section. No, the alcoholic section. I had it right the first time. Those are gateway introductions to your flesh. And listen, when a nation or an individual hits that spot 
and they get that reprobate mind, game over. Finished. Nana. Done. You're not going anywhere. Europe has hit that spot. America's right at the spot. Did you ever notice in the, the, the contrast between 1900 and 2008 when it comes to just homosexuality or lesbianism? You know that there were no homosexuals in 1900? Oh, there were. You just couldn't find them. Now you find them down Disney World for the whole week. Now you find them down there on Gay Pride Week. I think they had a whole Gay Pride Week by paid invitation in Iraq. Remember that guy that was here from Pakistan, and they were interviewing him, and 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 uh, I can't think of his name now. He's a little guy, got uh, and he's a he's a really a boy. He's something else. And they were asking him questions, and they asked him about homosexuals in Pakistan. And he looked, and he's kind of smiled, and he says, "We do not have that phenomenon in our country." And he's right. He's right. Oh, they're there. But they ain't walking down the streets of Pakistan saying, we're gay rights, we're gay rights, we're gay rights. Buy a rainbow sticker here, put it on your forehead, gay rights. No, no, they're there, but they're underneath the sand someplace. You go to Lutheran churches, Presbyterian churches, Episcopalian churches, I'm not picking on anybody. I'm just telling you the truth. Methodist churches, any neo-Orthodox church. You know what you find? You find gay priests, gay pastors, lesbian bishops. You know what they teach now? They teach that, you know how they get around it? Because the first thing we said in Romans, change the truth of God into lies. You know what they do? They talk about David and Jonathan being two homosexual lovers. That's what they do. That's exactly what they do. They justify what they are by going to the Bible, changing the scriptures, and saying, David, because the Bible says he loved Jonathan more than his own soul. Ooh. Now, I know what that means, because I know what David's a type of and Jonathan's a type of, and it isn't two queers. And I'm sorry, if the word queer offended you, I'll use a more better terminology, faggots. You do know where the word faggot came from, don't you? See, I'm a stickler on finding out where things start from. You know where the word faggot comes from? Faggot is something that burns in a fire. The word faggot came by the preachers in the old times that were preaching against the sins of the Roman Catholic Church in the Dark Ages. When all the, and you can get in the Catholic Encyclopedia and look this up. It doesn't take a rocket math scientist or whatever that thing goes. rocket scientist. What's the math one? What is it? Who? You mathematician. Anyway, you know what I'm talking about. You can get into a Catholic encyclopedia. Come down there and find out that the popes were homosexual. And you know what? The Waldensians and the Albigenses were preaching against the Roman Catholic Church and the homosexuality, and they were calling them faggots. You know what they were calling them faggots? Because they say they were going to go and burn in hell, and that's where faggots are found, in a burning fire. Hello? Everything goes back to the Bible. Don't get mad at me. I don't like the word faggot. I didn't create it. Faggots created it. But faggot is close to maggot. I don't know what to tell you. I don't like that either. 
Oh, you got to be careful. Come in the grocery store, you buy your groceries, you can't yell. Bag it! <laughs> when you go hunting, you got to give up hunting, Steve, because when you shoot that deer, you can't yell. Tag it! <laughs> Let's just remove every word that even is associated with it. Now I got a cramp in my leg. They teach that Christ was married to Mary Magdalene, had children. And then the whole scenario how that after the death of Christ, Mary and the child were smuggled to Scotland. And all the real race of, of, of Jesus and the real heritage of Jesus now lives in the British Isles someplace. Yeah, and King Kong's going to hit the Empire State Building one more time to see if he can do it too this afternoon. I've even heard now lately in the last couple of months that once the once the once the painting of the uh, uh, you know the uh, Da Vinci Code came out and all that stuff, and they had the painting of of John laying his head on Jesus. Oh, they don't take it from the aspect. They say John looks effeminate, so Jesus must have been having a homosexual relationship with John. Where do you end? Where do you end? I was going through a Catholic. Uh, church one time and was witness to the priest and I asked him if he'd take me through and I and across the thing here what we call in every Catholic church were stations of the cross you know they depict the, the route that Christ took as he was being crucified and I was walking through there and it, it, it has it here you know Christ before Pontius Pilate and I was explaining it to him and I was looking for an opportunity to witness to him we come up to one here where Christ falls you know under the weight of the cross and then we come up here a little farther, and it says, one of the stations says, Christ falls the second time. I said, is that in the Bible? He said, oh, yes, certainly. I said, where at? He said, I don't know. I think it's in the gospel. I said, would you look? I'd like to research this a little bit. He didn't know. It says up here, Christ fell the third time. I said, is that in the Bible? He said, yeah. I said, where at? He said, I don't know, one of the gospels. We come up here, and it said, Veronica wipes the face of Jesus. I said, is that in the Bible? He said, oh, most certainly. I said, where at? Oh, one of the Gospels. When we were done, I said, now, would you show me those places? He looked for a long time in his own Bible. And then he said, oh, I remember. He said, just because it doesn't say that it happened in the Bible doesn't mean that it didn't. I said, quick as a, quick as a sharp razor, I said, how come you don't have one up there all stopping off for lunch at McDonald's? He said, please don't be irreverent. Like mine was irreverent and his wasn't. And I took his own ammunition and shot him with it. I said, you know what? The Bible, he said, that's not in the Bible. And I said, well, it's not in the Bible, but that doesn't mean they couldn't have. I mean, my answer, your answer is as good as mine. Once you start making things up, you know where you're going to end? Because of our old human nature and our depravity, you know where you're going to wind up? You know where you're going to end? When you start making it up, going by your own rules, you're going to wind up with a reprobate mind. There's got to be something that holds you accountable. Something that holds you accountable. And you know what? In Genesis chapter 19, where God destroys Sodom and Gomorrah, you know what it is now? He didn't, he didn't, he didn't destroy them because that they were queers. He didn't destroy him because they were homosexuals. He didn't destroy him because they were gay. God destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah because the residents there showed a lack of hospitality. Once you go down that slippery path, you're on your own, man. You can make it say whatever you want to say. And that's the problem today. That's where we're at. 
Now, I want to say this, to be fair. And I know when you start talking like this, you know, there, maybe there's people that have had this and experience in their life, and I certainly don't want you to go out of here uh, without understanding. So listen to what I'm about to say right now very carefully. In, in lieu of all that I have just said, and I've been just bringing you down through Romans chapter 1, showing you the depravity of the Gentiles and what it leads to. At the same time, if you're in this room this morning or you're listening to this CD someplace around the world, at the same time, I don't believe for a moment that one lesbian experience or one homosexual experience makes you a homosexual or a lesbian. Obviously, I know people get trapped in the scenarios. That's, you know, one cigarette doesn't make you a chronic smoker. One marijuana cigarette doesn't make you a, doesn't make you a, a, a drug addict. One beer doesn't make you an alcoholic. But the longer you play with that stuff and you adjust your flesh to it, the more it controls you, and pretty soon you will be. So even though you may not find yourself, and I don't want you beating yourself up, if you know you were, uh, you know, a young child and somebody molested you, or you were, you were, uh, you know, in high school and somebody took advantage of you, or whatever the case, I, I want you to understand, I'm not putting you into that category. I'm talking about people who have denied the Word of God who love this kind of lifestyle, who live this kind of lifestyle, who become this kind of lifestyle. Man asked me one time, can a, can, a, can a homosexual be saved? Can a lesbian be saved? My answer to him was this, no. Now that would shock most people, maybe shock some of you. But I always say no out of the chute. You know why? Because then I get to explain myself. Because a homosexual or a lesbian can never be saved till they first recognize homosexuality as a sin. As long as it's an alternative lifestyle, you can't get saved. As long as it's a just happened to you because you were born and not a choice, you can't get saved. You see, we're into this stuff today because we're so far out of the Bible. We're into this today that we some of you actually think that your parents or you or whoever, you're alcoholics because, you know, a guy said one time, well, I'm an alcoholic because, uh, you know, we have alcoholism in our genes. And I said, yeah, you got a pair of Levi's on. There's a fifth of whiskey back there. You do. You have alcohol in your jeans. <laughs> whatever your parents were, whatever you are, is your choice. You don't pass on alcoholism because it's a sickness. It's not a sickness. Drug abuse is not a sickness. Homosexuality is not a lifestyle choice. It's a sin. It's a choice conscious sin laid out in Romans. Did anybody read in Romans chapter 1 where it was a lifestyle or it was okay or some people are born that way? Now, I could go into the whole procedure this morning, and if sometime on Thursday night you want me to do it, I'd be glad to show you how they get to that point, but it's not because they were born that way. I had a man tell me one time, you know what, I, I, I just wanted, it was the time I was a little kid, I thought of myself as a woman. And I said, well, you're halfway there, <laughs> you know. And he answered his own question. He thought of himself as being a woman. If he would have thought of himself as being God's man, I wonder what he'd have been. If he'd have thought of himself as being an army man, I wonder what he'd have been. If he'd have thought of himself as being a fireman, what he'd have been, or a football player. You are what you think you are. That's why the Bible says, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature, old things are passed away, all things become new. And that's as prevalent today as whatever it was in history. We are what we are because of our choices, not because of some happenstance. In that sense, anyhow. And so a guy said, can a homosexual doesn't be saved? And I said, no, 
I preface that by saying, until they recognize and hate that sin just like every other sin. Until they recognize it for what it is and repent from it, walk away from it, recognizing it as sin. As long as you come in holding hands, kumbaya, and we're all God's children, and I can be saved, you're going to wind up in a lake of fire. You have to see sin as God sees it. You have to understand there's a natural sin, there's an unnatural sin. You have to realize in the Old Testament with the Sodomites, they didn't give them nice sermons like this. They just killed them. Do you ever wonder why in the Old Testament, and maybe this is beyond you because you don't read the Old Testament, do you ever wonder why when God told the children of Israel to go into Amalek or go into Gibeon or some of those places and they conquer those nations, did you ever wonder why God told the people through Joshua or Moses, he said this, when you take that land, when you go into that city, you kill every man, you kill every woman, you kill every child, and you kill every animal. You know why? Because they were so corrupt as Gentile nations, they were having sex with all of them. You know, I found that, and this is so true with Christians, and it happens all the time. All my life in ministry, I've watched this phenomenon take place. And it comes right back to what we're dealing with here. Because whatever sins the world has and the Gentiles have, we as Christians can tag on to them. You betcha we can. I told you last week, two key words in last week's message was fool and vanity. And I also told you that just getting saved doesn't save you from being a fool. Lots of God's peoples are fools. And I'm telling you, the thing that I watch is how human nature always reacts when faced with the Word of God. We talked about this Thursday night. Somebody asked the question. I can't remember now, and I thought to myself then, I need to remember that because I want to use that Sunday because it's so true. It's a situation where somebody will, somebody will come in, and, and they'll have a problem, something in their own personal life. You know, some, you know not, not just, I mean, a specific thing, like something that they're into. And I'll say to them, I'll say, you know what? You really need to, we need to really try to work on this. And their first reaction is always this. And this is how I judge. And I'll tell you, there are things in my world as a pastor that I know that are absolute gauges to judging somebody's spirituality. And when I know somebody tells me this, I'm knowing I'm dealing with a kebab so low on the scale that it doesn't even blow the thermometer up, spiritually speaking. They'll say this. Well, you know what? I know lots of people in the church that are doing that. Well, how about so-and-so? Look what they did. And I'll say to them, you know what? When it comes to some issue in your life, the last thing you want to do is try to compare what you're doing or where you're at with what somebody else is doing. Your sin is between you and God. Your problem is between you and God. It doesn't involve so-and-so. It doesn't involve this person. But what we do is we try to make ourselves look better. We try to justify our situation by saying, well, so-and-so, hey, if I use the critique that everybody else does it, why can't I do it? If that was our standard... Well, so-and-so's doing it, or what about this person over here, or this person does this? If that was my criteria for my own personal life, I'd never get anything right with God. Maybe that's why you don't. You can't come to God uh, when you've got an issue in your life or an issue somewhere where you've got to simply say, you know what? Well, what about them? 
Forget them. What about you? It's between you and God, not you and them. You have to take care of your own house and your own life. It's you. All, all my life, that's the first place they go. And when they kind of do that, I just kind of chuckle to myself. Here we go. I got another big fish on the line that doesn't know squat about the Bible, but pretends they do. And that's exactly the way Gentiles think. That's what homosexuals do. They want to run back and they say, it's a lifestyle. I didn't have a choice. When you get into churches, the, uh, the, the pastor gets up and he says, I, I remember one time, uh, uh, the, uh, Manuel Cleaver. He got up and he was preaching at a church downtown. It was a gay pride thing, and he was preaching at it. And I, and I listened to it. And I went down just to hear what he had to say. And he got up and he says, you know what? He's talking to all the queers now. He says, you know what? And now he wants votes, so you got to put that in mind too. He says, you know what? He says, we're all God's children. And I know that God didn't make no junk. Basically saying that it doesn't matter what you are, you're not junk. You're all God's children. Now, you give somebody that's got a sin problem in their life that kind of green light, where's that going to end? Where's that going to go? Here's somebody that's a lot more powerful what he says than I am. He's got a lot more credibility than I've got. He, now he's a senator. Or you got some pastor down there that's got a church, you know, and, and, and people come out there. Hey, what does that do? That's why I said earlier, what we need are some Josiahs. We need some people that will look at their lives and be honest. We need some people to quit alibying about everything else and deal with their own issues. We need people that, that across the board will stand up and say, you know what, I found the word of the Lord. And this is right and this is wrong. It takes courage. Most parents can't do it in their own family, let alone doing it on a world scenario. They can't even deal with it in their own personal life. Our husbands can't say to their wives, this is what we're going to do. Or the wife can't say to her husband, you know what, you're off base on this. I think we need to do this and work it out through the scriptures. Husbands, moms and dads saying to their children, you know what, you're not going to do that. Coming into the people where you're dealing with people at work and they tell you this, you say, you know what, that's not where I'm at right now. I appreciate it. I love you. But you know what? That's not where we're at. You know, I'm a people person. I get along with anybody, but there are certain people, unsaved people, there are certain people that I know there's no future with. I just don't have any future. Now, that doesn't mean for the cause of Christ I won't worm my way in, but I know that we don't have a long, we're not going to have a long relationship together. We're just not. I have a guy up the fitness center that it, it, it just rags on me all the time. And he's an unsaved guy, and I like him. And he just tried, and I never let him get to me. I, I have fun with him. I, and I, I really try to witness to him. And he comes up to me, you know, because he knows we're a Baptist church. He says, last Easter, because he knows we're a Baptist church. He says, last Easter, he says, oh, yeah, what time's your sunrise service? I said, 1030. <laughs> that was got him going, see. He was after it then. You don't have a sunrise service? No. You, I said, what time's your Easter service? I said, you mean my Ash Star service? Well, did you celebrate Good Friday? And I said, no, I celebrated Bad Wednesday. <laughs> oh, he went off. He grabbed about nine people, and he says, do you believe in Good Friday? Do you believe this? Do you believe in that? Do you believe this? And then he come back, and he says, you're the only man in the world 
that I've ever met that don't believe in Good Friday and don't believe in sunrise services. Are you a cult? I said, yeah, I'm the same cult Noah was in. Four billion people didn't believe anything Noah said. Eight people made it. Yeah, I am. I am. Then I put a tables on it. I said, Good Friday? What is Good Friday? He didn't know. I said, what's Lent? He said, no, not that. Finally, I said, oh, yeah, I know. You're one of these Christians that go on sunrise services on Sunday morning outside, and you, your preacher gets up and preaches that Christ came out of the tomb at sunrise, which he didn't. You came out of the tomb at sunrise. Oh, I got it now. He comes out of the tomb at sunrise. Oh, and see how your story goes? Oh, I know. And as soon as the sun came up, he saw his shadow, ran back in, and it was six more weeks of winter. <laughs> the funny thing was, he looked at me like I was telling him the truth. <laughs> Romans chapter 1 is a great chapter. It shows you that God in a Christian's life or an unsaved world's life or an individual's life, that light rejected becomes lightning. The world will reject God's light. We as God's people can't. You think that I, I like to deal with my own issues in my life? Human nature is such in all of us that we like to pass it off to somebody else. We can't. We can't. When it's my issue, it's my issue. When it's your issue, it's your issue. It doesn't matter if everybody else is doing right or wrong, that's immaterial. It's only about where you are at in your own personal relationship with God. And I'm telling you, that's the key. Light rejected becomes lightning. And once a man, a nation, gets to that point, an automatic process, and we're going to talk about it next week, begins to act in that person's life that brings them down. And it brings them through a four or five levels, and the level they get to is a reprobate mind. There's a natural progression that takes place in the book of Romans chapter 1 that shows you that. And that's why I caution you. That's why as God's people in our lives, we've got to look at God and be honest. We've got to deal with issues honestly, openly. We've got to be able to be what we need to be, the Josiahs in this world of darkness. And that's the key. Well, we'll hold up there and we'll pick it up next week and we'll begin to lay out the five steps down to a reprobate mind. Let's pray. Father.